my dear Capital FM. I am your real fan. Listening to Capital FM is my habit. In fact, my day starts with your station. My lovely favorite radio. You know, guys, you're the best. This is Capital FM, Moscow, 105.3. The latest news now. Moscow's only English-speaking hit music station. Capital FM. News. Lit traffic snell up has reached 9 out of 10 during rush hour for the first time this spring. The peak came from 6 to 7 p.m. earlier today. The average for March has been 4 out of 10. The emergency administrator says strong winds are expected all day today in Moscow and the surrounding region. Forecasters have declared a yellow danger level and predict blizzards and gusts of up to 19 meters per second. Drivers are being advised not to park vehicles near trees and billboards. Moscovites have eaten about 120,000 pancakes at festive events during Maslenitsa, also known as a Pancake Week in Russia, since the 1st of March. Performances and fairs are being held in all districts of the capital, mainly in the city center. Festivities are to be held through to Sunday. Spartak Moscow are currently playing game five of the quarter-final series of the Gagarin Cup playoffs against Scar. The latest score there in St. Petersburg is 1-0 in favor of the Muscovites late in the second period. The best-of-seven encounter is tied to all. And finally, the euro has dropped nine kopecks against the ruble, with the dollar adding four. The official exchange rate for Thursday for a dollar is 65.84 rubles. One euro will cost 74.42. Rated 5 out of 10 on Moscow's road. Driving time to Vnukova Airport from the city center is about an hour and around 45 minutes to get back into central Moscow. You'll spend about 90 minutes on your way to and from Domodedovo Airport. Driving time to Shremetyevo is around 75 minutes each way. 16 degrees Celsius in Rome, 3 in Seoul, 22 in Dubai. Partly cloudy and up to negative 12 degrees Celsius are expected in Moscow tomorrow. That's about 10 Fahrenheit. That's all from me this hour. Dmitry Shulga in the studio. Bye-bye. With Alan Moore. Good evening, listeners. This is Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore, and we've got a super special show for you guys tonight. It's uh, it's very, very interesting. It's going to warm up your Wednesday, the first Wednesday, of course, in March, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Here with me in the studio right now on my left, as last week as well, I have Mr. Andrew McLean. Andrew, how are you? Still on your left. Very well. Okay, I have the young man who's part of our gruesome some, Mr. Peter P. Hey. Okay, we've got Alex B. He'll be in with us a little bit later. He's just on the way in from getting his nails done. Right. Um, <laughs> that is only partially through. Uh, he's getting a pedicure. Okay, so um, we are, we have a, we're very, very happy we've got a terrific guest in the studio today because um, we do mention the odd time different sports. We have discussed with basketball before, especially NBA. We covered, we discussed a lot of topics in the NBA. And last week, of course, um, Alex B. He mentioned about uh, a draft prospect who got an injury who you know we discussed about should college players be paid and so on this is something that we even had with um, a US lawyer as well who was on the show about a year ago however right now we are very lucky to have in the studio with us a man who well they call him a small forward but he's very very tall he's two meters six that the last count um, 
He's playing, of course, with Cisco Moscow here in, in Moscow. He's formerly played with the Phoenix Suns and, of course, with Valparaiso in the college game in the, in, in the United States. Very, very welcome. Big, warm capital sports welcome to Mr. Alec Peters. Alec, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a true pleasure to be here. Okay, that is brilliant. And again, you are two metres six. More or less, yeah, yeah. More or less. Okay, is that <laughs> six foot nine? Uh, six eight, six nine. I mean, with six nine with the right pair of shoes on, probably. See that doesn't. You see, I'm I'm looking pedicures again. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky if I'm five eight with like a pair of high heels on. But anyway, that's another thing. And it's, when, only, it's Wednesday today, Alan. That's Thursday. Oh right? yeah, Thursday night is my high heels on. Yeah. So, um, Alison, you're very welcome. And the one thing I just want to ask you straight away is, um, a lot of listeners might not know a lot about the the college game in the states. Some of our listeners will, but many people don't really know how it works. So. You're in high school. You're a promising player. Um, you get an offer of a scholarship. What does a scholarship involve in, in the U.S.? So a scholarship, uh, especially to a Division One school, where which I was lucky and fortunate enough to to have more than one offer um, to do that. It usually works. You know, as you're a senior in high school, you usually narrow down your choices of colleges, universities that you want to attend. And you know, if you're offered a full scholarship, that usually means that you know you show up at that school. Your tuition's paid for. Um, your books are paid for, your room and board is paid for, your food's paid for, and, and you might, you know, eventually earn a little bit of money on top of that. And so, you know, it, it kind of is, encompasses everything. It's, you know, what a lot of families and kids work for, you know, to help out their family so their family doesn't have to pay anything when they go to school or not have any debt leaving college or, or anything like that. And I was very lucky and fortunate to do that for my family. I mean, it is a big, big issue um, that in, in America with paid education, you know, and it, it, uh, people leave college or university with, you say, $60,000 or more in student loans and debts. Um, just in terms of, like, with athletes, because, of course, I'm, I'm a huge NCAA fan, but, you know, with, from football and basketball, um, especially football, and you look at, say, 80,000 people in a stadium all playing a lot of money for tickets and so on, um, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you, should players be paid? Because you should. I, I'm an opinionated guy. If you want to, go okay, ahead. I will in a second. Because I'm coming from a, a, an Irish sports background, getting football and hurling, where all our players are amateurs. So you've got 83,000 people in the stadium, and these guys then go to work on a Monday after playing a massive game on a Sunday. Um, okay, so then the question is, should college players be paid, or should they be allowed to receive some sort of money? I think there should be a little bit of something there. Um, if you look at kind of... You know, from top to bottom, you look at your Dukes and your North Carolinas, you know, for example, you know, the Duke-North Carolina game that just happened with, uh, you know, Zion Williamson, who's obviously going to be a, you know, big-time prospect in the NBA. He, uh, they attracted, so like, a packed house. People were paying, you know, thousands of dollars for for tickets. And at the end of the day, you know, he might have, after the game, went home back to his dorm room and ate a frozen pizza in his, you know, there's that's the type of examples that I know I did as a as a college student, and I know that a lot of, you know, my friends that played college basketball at bigger schools than me, you know, had to deal with. They would go play, you know, a football game or, you know, there are a lot of documentaries and movies that, you know, tell the stories of football players playing a big game on a, on a Saturday, you know, in front of thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, generating so many millions of dollars in revenue each year for their for their schools. And then, you know, they're hungry in their locker, in their uh, dorm room later that night. You know, they, they're thinking about going and, you know, stealing food from somewhere. It's like, you know, those are examples like that make you wonder, okay, is, is the right thing really being done here? Is there something extra that they can figure out? And I think that there is. And what that is, I'm not totally an expert on, but I think there is something there that can be, you know, replaced, you know, in terms of what the current system is. Well, that's a good point because it has been like, you probably watch uh, ESPN 30 for 30 mm -hmm. and all the different documentaries. And we see like, say, uh, the Southern Methodist, the Mustangs, when they got done for, uh, you know, 
paying players and so on, like you know, and, and getting players to come in to get like the the top uh, prospects coming in from high school. Um, but the big thing that showed that a lot of these players then, you know, very, very many of them won't be as lucky as you are to, to go into a draft or to go play in Europe and to go make a, a professional living from, from, from doing something that you love. And then they, you have what's left afterwards. Do you think maybe if there was a support for players after college, maybe some kind of like a, almost like a pension or something like that, would that work? Uh, I think it, in, in an idea that in a perfect world that would obviously, you know, work great. Um, you know, the problem with, you know, all of a sudden changing things is now you have to start thinking of, okay, how can they abuse it? You know, just like the current system in the NCAA right now, how can they how can they abuse the, the current system in terms of, like, you're seeing it all the time in college. You know, people are getting into these illegal recruiting schemes because people are starting to abuse rules. Well, if you were to change them, you have to think, okay, how can they abuse the new rules? Now, if you do make it more lenient, if you do give a little bit, you know, to these players, a little bit of money, how can they start to abuse it? How can boosters start to abuse, you know, having a little more leniency with these guys because they're bringing in so much money, you know, and you, obviously you have the top guy selling more jerseys or selling more tickets. People are coming to watch him. Okay, well, the last player on the bench, maybe bringing a couple people, not bringing in as much money. How do you differentiate who gets what? And so there's a lot that they probably have to work through that, that's kind of holding it all up, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think they do if they were to change and they were to make, you know, things different they do need to look at how they would be abused and how you know things would uh, ultimately play on down the road if they were to change things that's a good point because it's not about like you know that if everyone's treated equal and so on it's like how people are going to get around those rules you bring in the rules the rules are there right now for recruiting boys there they, they'll still try to break them um, I just go on, I'm just going to ask you a question in a moment just one, one question I was watching a video uh, of you an interview from three years ago you were clean-shaven, young guy at a training camp. Uh, I think it was maybe Nike Academy or something like that, and, mm -hmm. and you're, you're playing. And something struck me that, that you said that was interesting um, is that, because when we met you here and came in, you're a confident guy, you know, smiling, happy, positive. And when you said that the, you know, your high school coach said, you know, you weren't you know, the most talented player, but you made it up with hard work. You had chances to go to big basketball schools, but you went to a, a smaller, you know, a smaller school, and were massively successful, hugely successful. I mean, you looking. I mean, it was a successful program for many, many years. I mean, I was making you know, playoffs and tournaments and so on. Um, when you got to the to the to the NBA draft and you got drafted and you're playing, did you think I've made it, or you think this is only the start? There was a little bit, maybe a minute or so, where like, wow, you know, this was all the sacrifices, all the hard work, all of the missing out on what regular kids probably do when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. You know, I you know, hardly didn't do any of it, none of the parties, anything like that. Like, it made it all worth it for a little bit. But then, you know, you quickly shift to, like, okay, I have hopefully 10, 15 years left of me. You know, this is not even half of my basketball career is over. Um, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things. So there, there was a little bit moment where it's like, wow, this is, you know, this happened you know this was something that I wanted to happen and I made it happen and not many people can dream that big as a little kid and then all of a sudden live that dream in a matter of moments and it was really cool for me it was cool for my family cool for my dad um, who had coached me since I was a little kid so um, you know it was definitely a little little I made it moment but quickly shifted focus after that because it just showed that you weren't pushed as you made you said that you know there were all these other kids going to the different like uh, the, the different uh, league camps and so on and, and playing different leagues you didn't do that so you were kind of developed the whole way through uh, maybe more rounded 
more uh, educated, but not in a not. I'm not saying being rude to other players, but to say that you were more developed. Uh, I I thought of it as a loyalty thing. You know, I had so many people when I was younger um, stick by me. You know, my AAU coach um, Gavin Sullivan, who checks in with me daily. Uh, from when I was like 13, 14 years old, you know, I was playing in the same you know summer basketball program. My dad coached me, you know, and and if I was to go out and play bigger and be part of a bigger thing, I'd have to leave all that. And these guys had stuck by me and worked with me, my teammates in high school. I didn't even go to a you know, bigger prep school or a high school in the states because I knew that these guys worked so hard with me and for me that you know how could I leave that in the end? And same thing in college when I had the opportunity after my. Uh, third year to transfer to a bigger school I you know had to look at myself and say how can you leave these guys that have done so much for you and have helped get you to this place like how can you be that guy that leaves and all of a sudden come you, you just wouldn't be the same person and you know I kind of look at it as a, as a loyalty thing that's helped kind of get me through um, this career and help me make decisions you know who's been loyal to me because I'm going to be you know loyal and I'm going to work hard for you I'm no basketball specialist but I've been reading lots of changes about the development and academies in US soccer um, and there's a lot of journalists that are reporting that it's becoming quite elitist in the way that parents will pick the route or the academy, the school, the um, and invest. It's average that they have to invest about two thousand dollars each year from about the age of six until they reach those sort of academy ages at thirteen and fourteen. Do you think that basketball is seeing a similar thing where parents are actually eyeing up the sport as a way to get a scholarship into a top university? I think you're you're spot on with that, and I think it's also a, a terrible thing that's going on in the U.S. I think that you know, for a kid, and you know, I was a kid that did different things. Um, you know, that's just me. You know, obviously, kids are different; they are interested in different stuff. But I, I mean, I played football, I played soccer, I played baseball. Um, I did, I you know, I played everything growing up. If you take a kid from the moment they want to be like, okay, you're going to be a basketball player, and you start hammering at them, you know, playing basketball, basketball, basketball. I know so many kids that did that, and they're so burnt out, they don't want anything to do with it anymore. And they don't, they don't, they don't love the game the same. They don't look at it as going and having fun at the gym. You know, like I go to practice every day, and I love my job. You know, I love that I get to go. I get to work on myself. I get to work on my game. You know, I get to become better, you know, every day. And... You know, a lot of kids, they just, if you start them early and you hammer it and they don't have that same drive, they're not, you know, they're not going to last. And I think the U.S. looks at kind of the European model a little bit, like, like as you said, with soccer academies. And, you know, they think that they they can all of a sudden just wipe the system that's been happening and and pick that up. And I don't think that that's, you know, Europe's been doing it for so long that it's just, it, it is what it is now. You know, it's just a thing. You know, in the U.S., you can't just take that and say okay we're going to start doing this now you know it hasn't developed over time it's just you know i think you got to keep things as they are you got to let kids do you know different things so that they don't get so burnt out you mentioned that you played a few sports when you were younger if it wasn't for basketball what would you have done sporting wise what what other sport would you have liked to have maybe taken on uh probably american football um is kind of what in, when i was in high school that's what that's what i died you know i played basketball and i played you know american football and uh that was kind of like, you know, my two things. And I was honestly, when I was a younger kid, I was better at the other than I was at basketball. But I hadn't fully grown yet. I hadn't fully matured. And um, quite honestly, I didn't like it as much as basketball. So I, I stuck with basketball and it ended up being the right choice. Uh, quick question then, away from the court. Um, you've traveled a lot. You're obviously here in Moscow. Uh, you must have had a few roommates in your time. Um, anyone in particular that had terrible habits? Oh man, um, 
<laughs> no pressure. Yeah, you're asking me to throw people under the bus. I, I, you know, just because, um, you know, he's my, he's still my best friend of this day, my my college roommate. Um, I lived, oh, he I threw lived him under the bus. I, I lived, I lived with him for three years, and he, I mean, he'll he'll laugh at this too. I mean, he was he was a little, he was a little messy. I mean, we lived together for three years. He was that guy that would, you know get done eating and put his stuff in the dish put his stuff in the sink and wouldn't put it in wouldn't rinse it out he wouldn't put it in the dish it was kind of a little little so thing growing yeah yeah he would just he would have little messy things here and there and I, he's he's a he's a night shift nurse now so I, I don't even know if he's listening to this or not or oh, we, we send him a podcast yeah 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 i wouldn't know if he'll ever hear this or not but um yeah he he would do a little things here and there he's still he's still my best friend of this day so that's why i think i can i can rag on him a little bit what's his name nick davidson <laughs> I didn't even expect that. Okay, fine. Okay, Peter, up to you. Hey, so uh, I was wondering, as a as a guy who had the transition, I was transitioning. I was I came back from America to Russia. How did you handle uh, coming here? Like, was it any different? Did you? Was it like wow, like totally different? Maybe someone. Yeah. Didn't like, um, didn't like Google Translate helped a lot. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> no, <laughs> honestly, like I was a guy. That was so set in my ways. I was such a like you know. I never had any interest in traveling. I never had any interest in like cultural stuff. Like I thought you know if I was gonna live my rest of my life in my in my house in, in Illinois, that would be just fine. You know. So when I ended up taking this opportunity to do this, I didn't exactly realize like how much of an impact like getting to see a whole different part of the world would be. And you know my my first experience, you know, it was a little bit of shell shocked at first. You know, walking outside and looking at signs and, and you know buildings and not reading not you know not knowing what anything said and not walking into something thinking it's a grocery store but it's actually a pharmacy it's like there could it, be worse things to walk in yeah yeah <laughs> a lot worse yeah. things in moscow a lot worse okay we're going to go out to the break now just uh, on that uh alex b will be into the studio with us when he has his uh, toenails all nice and dry so we're going to go out to the break uh, we've asked we've asked alex to, to pick a song for us and he'll pick it for the second segment uh he's still thinking about it he, he didn't have to think about like who's his worst roommate but he has to think about a song <laughs> and he, got, he already told us which football I'm team sorry, right? i'm sorry nick i'm sorry I had to throw you <laughs> I just, out there like that. you're a bears fan <laughs> Yeah. Okay, there we go. That's, at least yeah. that's one good thing. The Bears fan. Okay. We're going to go out to the break right now and we'll be back after this with more Alec Peters. And of course, we'll have Alex B and we'll have, uh, of course, Andy McLean staying here with us. And we're going away with Shine Down and Get Up. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Welcome back to Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I'm still Alan Moore. Sitting beside me is still Andrew McLean. Right across from me is still Alec Peters. But there's an Alex in the studio, Alex B, with the freshly manicured toenails. Oh, yeah. I, I just got a fresh manicure and I'm feeling fantastic. Thank you. I thought it was a pedicure. I got both. Oh, why not there both? Go. When you're there, well, what, like, why waste time? Exactly. You're yeah. Man after my own heart. Right. We're going to continue on our, um, our conversation with Alec because. You know, again, it's great to hear something different, especially from the world of sports. And also, you are, it's not outspoken, but you're actually just telling the truth, which is very unusual for a lot of athletes. <laughs> they don't want to do it, you know. Um, is it one, one, one question I wanted to, to, to ask. You say you grew up on a farm, so that's going to influence your song that we're going to play a little bit later on. Our, our listeners will be, oh, they'll be happy with that. But on a farm, what was it? Was it a dairy farm? Was it a, a mixed farm? Or what was it? Well, it was actually my grandparents. So we lived um, like a half mile, my, my family did, and then... It's so it's so funny. My mom calls it you know, like the Peter's Plantation or Peter's <laughs> Compound because like my dad's family all grew up as farmers, and so like we live a half mile from the from the farm. My, his other brother lives a half mile away. His sister lives right next to it. So like we all live in the same area. We all, as we grew up, helped, you know, helped out and you know did useless chores here. Not useless, <laughs> but you know chores here and there to uh, earn, earn some cash and just kind of you know learn what hard work was because I, I still doesn't matter you know what kind of basketball practice I have for the rest of my life, nothing will be harder than some of the stuff that I've had to do, you know, manual labor-wise for my grandparents. Did you ever pick stones out of the field? Uh, no, not pick stones, but, you know, I had to... Pick potatoes? Uh, corn. We did a lot of corn. Uh, we have a lot of cattle, too. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that's kind of what they stick to mostly. But uh, I had to do a lot of, you know... Not good stuff like clean out like uh, like baby calves. You know would would be in individual huts and you have to clean those out when oh, they're yeah. done. And you can only imagine what what what's all over there. Yeah, uh, no, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but but because one thing in Ireland we always have to do is pick stones out of fields 
and that is a key yeah. picking yeah because you'd be a lot of stony fields mm-hmm. like where, where we grew up and say so they pick the stones so they have just mostly soil but when you're going through a field and you go you get to the top of the field it's like you know, two three acres you walk in a straight line and you look around and say like did I put stones in or take stones out it's just insane <laughs> but, or picking potatoes or yeah I don't know well, well we eat smaller holdings than you guys so, okay I mean that, that that is a thing you mentioned and something we, we picked up with um, the ice hockey goalkeeper Yulis uh, Hudicek who plays for Spartak Hockey he, you know, he's from Slovakia and said that, that you know sport isn't you know for him professional sport is just a bonus because he's getting paid to do something he loves do you find you're doing the same thing it's that you're getting paid to do something fun that you really love it's uh it's very hard for me to really realize it when i'm you know two o'clock in the afternoon when i'm you know after first practice between second practice i'm sitting on my couch watching a movie <laughs> and i'm like wow like you know this is my job like i'm i'm supposed to be resting right now because i have a second practice later you know uh, it's just it's it's amazing that you know a sport you know something i do two three hours a day you know mostly is what you know serves as my livelihood and you know it, it's my life and um, you know, I try not to take it for granted, but it's it's very very rewarding. Have you got a go-to movie that, that you you maybe watch too much in your downtime? Obviously, Russian TV might not have its. Uh... <laughs> it's not usually on. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I always you know anytime like the Avengers movies are on, I, man, I have freaking Superman sweatshirt on right now. I'm a big superhero guy. Um, so anytime like you know if I want to see like the the Dark Knight movies again or you know the Avengers movies, you know I kind of spread across the entire you know DC and Marvel universe and, and I'll watch those movies over and over again do you think that maybe one day Superman will end up wearing an Alec Peters sweatshirt it, it might be the same person you never know oh <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that, that's a, you, 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 you had a season and you know you did, you did well uh, in the NBA you're now here with Siskel would you like to go back to the NBA I mean, it's home, you know, United States is, is home for me, you know, it's where I'm most familiar, so if I have the opportunity and it's the right opportunity somewhere, you know, down the line, uh, whenever that may be, uh, you know, of course, you know, that's, you know, it's easier for my family to come see me play when it's only a couple hour playing fry versus, you know, 12 hours sometimes, you know, with connecting flights, yeah, yeah, and having to go through the process of, of all that, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be, be really cool to you know, have to go back and um, be a part of you know it's the best league in the world you know for a reason you know the best players you know are there the you know most talented you know most athletic you know and, and that's not taking anything away from the Euro League at all you know the Euro League's freaking you know it's amazing my experience here in the first season you know there's so many good players it's uh you know so many guys that could be in the NBA right now that just choose not to um, so it's been it's been amazing to see kind of a whole other world of basketball. It's very tough to get even to break in because it's not like NFL where there's bigger rosters and so on mm-hmm. and so forth, or even with soccer teams. How many players normally are on an NBA roster? Oh, yeah, they expanded the rosters to 17 players, but 15 is usually the number that uh, NBA teams hold on a roster, and so it's uh, it's very exclusive, very exclusive group, and there's about 30 teams, so about 450 players if you do the math is it down to talent or down to maybe the agent as well or down to the coach I think there's a, there's, there's a good mix of everything that goes into it you obviously have to have talent you have to have you know it'd be good at basketball you can't just you know be a slouch and all of a sudden why is he in the NBA and I think a <laughs> lot of soccer yeah. actually, just so you know there are guys who have like well known or yeah. very rich uh, parents who suddenly turn up playing for national teams yeah. there you go That's Yeah, but there, I mean there's so many guys like at the end of a bench of an NBA team that people are like oh he's a bum why is he playing in the NBA well he's still a really freaking good player <laughs> like you know I think people don't realize that sometimes it's like okay you go play him one on one and see how see how you do but um, 
Yeah, it's a good mix. Uh, I think it has to do with you know how well your agent's connected as well, and the kind of relationships he has with the teams, and you know a lot of things. You know, luck. There's a lot of luck that's involved into it. And, you know, getting the right situation because there are a lot of great players that fall into the wrong situation and end up playing in the D League or you know end up over um, in in Europe just because you know that things didn't work out with the current situation that they had, and maybe if they would have been in a better situation, they'd have you know 10, 15 year NBA career. Okay. You've already got 10 points for throwing one person under the bus. We're going to go double or quits. <laughs> I so, might throw the same person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, firstly, who is the laziest person you have ever trained or played alongside? And perhaps the most naturally gifted. Obviously, they could be the same person. Um, uh, I'm not going to name names <laughs> on the laziest person just because I think... You know, I played in the, uh, you know, as well as playing in the NBA, I played in the, the D League, which is, you know, like the minor leagues, I guess. Of, development League. Yeah, yeah. Development yeah. League. And, and, you know, when you're there, there's all different types of personalities and talents, and there's definitely a few lazy ones um, <laughs> as well. Um, but most most gifted player that I've ever, uh, I mean, playing with Devin Booker a little bit last year in Phoenix, I mean, he's, you know, he was a guy that just every day, you know, there was something you know, not, I don't want to say amazing because you know you get used to it, you used to seeing it every day. But but made every day, he, he, yeah, he just made like he'd come to practice. You know, he'd he'd kill it every day, and he just had that mentality, he had that attitude, and it was it was something cool to to be a part of and to watch every day. Uh, so I'm going to take it down a notch a bit here. And, uh, <laughs> so what? I'm assuming you were a Bulls fan growing up. Growing up, oh yeah. So what was your favorite player? I'm assuming Mike. Uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily old enough to appreciate the Michael years. You know, I'd go back and I'd watch them, um, obviously. But, uh, you know, man, I mean, it's hard not to love, you know, MVP Derrick Rose with the Bulls oh, back yeah. in uh, 2011. Um, those teams were, you know, probably part of their best teams during that during that run with him. And, uh, you know, Joe Kim Noah was back winning Defensive Player of the Year. And, um, you know, he was probably, he was super good. I, I say Derrick Rose because he was also an Illinois kid, and I got to watch him play in high school in the state tournament. So, uh, you know, seeing him have that MVP season in, in Chicago was super special. Uh, so I also saw an interview with Kat and uh, Devin Booker, and uh, they said that there's, like, a whole new feeling when you step onto, like, the NBA court for the first time. Like, you know, from G League, like, university, but when you're in, when you're at that level, mm -hmm. like, could you describe that? Yeah, I'll describe it perfectly. In our very first game of the season, we were playing Portland, and we were losing by 45 points. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> but uh, but that meant that, you know, a guy that was a second-round pick that necessarily, you know, wasn't going to crack the roster right away got to play. It means I got to get in in the fourth quarter and, and see what happens. When I stepped on that court, um, you know, regardless of the circumstances and being down that much and, you know, having the half the crowd lead, it was uh, I put up my first shot, very first shot I ever took, and uh, I don't even remember, like, if it was like the right form or if it was like how I'm used to shooting and, and, and it went in and I, I just remember jogging back down the court like oh that went like my first <laughs> shot went in like you know here we go this is uh you know it's go time now so it was uh that was a pretty special feeling for me yeah in in terms of with the I mean you hold records at Valparaiso mm -hmm. for for you know points rebounds and so on um is it was it why did you choose Valparaiso in the end I mean we didn't ask you I mean because mm -hmm. there's so many other big schools that are there why there yeah, it was either BA 
little fish in a big pond, you know, go to a big school and maybe get redshirted, which means you have to sit out a whole year before you begin. So redshirt is when you start your red, redshirt freshman, which mm -hmm. means then you don't play for your first year, yep. but you, you keep your eligibility yep. to continue for four more years. Four yep. years. Yep. You get to play for four more years. So it was either that kind of situation um, and maybe not get to play as much, maybe, um, you know, not develop as quickly as I wanted to because you're not playing as much, or it was go to a school that I knew that I was going to get, you know, an opportunity to play right away and play for a coach that had been playing in the NBA, has played in Europe, that was Bryce Shrew, and he really sold that um, to me, and he, you know, let me know from the beginning, you know, hey, this, you know, opportunity's there, um, it may not be pretty right away, but as you continue to play, the best way to develop is to play, and you're going to get to play, you're going to have the opportunity And, you know, we'll see where what happens from there. We're going to work. We're going to work as hard as we can. And we're going to, you know, help you try and reach the goals. Um, just on that, I mean, reaching goals, the Russian men's basketball team, they've just made the World Cup for the first time in uh, nine years. I mean, just a lot of uh, your teammates involved yeah. in that team. Yeah, big time. Congratulations to them. Um, you know, I know it was uh, not easy for them to come and uh you know, play a game and then have, you know, I think we have eight days in between our, our next game and then they had to, you know, get on a flight and go play another game, you know, with the with the national team. So big congratulations to them. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, 40% of the points that were scored in that game against uh, Finland were from uh, uh, my Seska teammates. So they, uh, they did a great job and, you know, they always do. I see those guys every day at practice and I know the kind of hard work that they put into it and to see them you know, do it for their national team. It makes it cool for a guy like me to watch and not just watch the USA when I'm watching national team basketball. I can watch now, you know. And take pride from it. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and see them yesterday, you know, at practice and be like, hey, you know, be proud of that and be, you know, congratulate them. Do the guys come back into the dressing room happier after an international win like that? Yeah, they definitely come back with a little smile on their face. And, you know, everybody kind of knows that, you know, this was a big deal for them to be able to, you know, qualify for the World Cup. And, be able to play in China and to compete for, you know, a medal. And, you know, obviously it's a big deal because, you know, they, you have to spread it throughout the season. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to play these important EuroLeague games and then all of a sudden you have to channel that focus into your national team. And I think that's really, really a big deal. And I think that'd be super hard for, for someone like them to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have one quick question before we go, yeah. Alex. Uh, so... Uh, I recently watched you put up 36 against the, against Dallas. Uh -huh. So eight threes. How, how do you feel after that game? Um, I was a little sad because that was our last game of the season. Um, I was more like you know, you know, I just had obviously the best game of my you know very short you know then NBA career, my rookie season, and all of a sudden the next day I was going home. You know, it was you know the end of the season. We weren't making the playoffs, anything like that. So it was uh, a little bittersweet. You know, I knew that. A game like that helped reassure me that I, you know, belonged at a level like that, and I was able to do it on a stage like that. But at the end of the day, you know, I was going home the next day, going to my family, and it's like I wanted to continue. I wanted to have a game the next day to continue to prove, you know, that I was Stay worthy of that performance. Yeah. Okay, Andy, we were all, we're almost out of time in a second segment. So, Andy, one last question. Yeah, obviously, you mentioned about Russia, America. What's the one thing that you could that you miss so much that? Perhaps I mean for me to begin with, it was Iron Brew, and so I discovered they actually sell Iron Brew here, uh, which is like a can of soda. Um, Chipotle, 100 oh, yeah. 100%. percent. <laughs> a lot of people like that. Yeah. Uh, probably four or five days a week, I was eating that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I like I, I love Mexican food, and like the best thing to Mexican food that I've been able to do is to cook it. And I haven't really found anything here that's like resembled that resembled you know the Mexican food I would get in America. So. No. 
Well, with that, that's one thing I miss is that for sure. Just, it was, I mean, it's, it's great having you in. I hope you're going to come back to us as well. And we'll, we're going to follow you very, very closely now for the rest of the season. We, do, we did ask you a question before we came on air. And some we asked ourselves uh, whether you, it'd be better to win your domestic league or the continental league. So for you, it's VTB or the Euro League, which is a Euro League 100%. There's, just, there's so much buildup throughout the year. And every game is like, you know, you feel like you have, you know, this giant weight on your shoulder for every single game throughout the year in the Euro League. It's like, you know, you want it to all feel good in the end. And I'm not saying the VTB isn't important. VTB is very important. I want to win the VTB as well. Uh, there's just so much, you know, hype and there's so much energy behind these Euro League games and you feel it every time you play. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, as we get into the playoffs and, um, you know, hopefully when our first round we get to the Final Four and, you know, getting raise that trophy, that, that's going to make everything, you know, feel even better. And that's Probably. what I'm looking forward to. Well, to make you feel better before you leave us, um, we do, we, we're going to allow you to pick one song, of course. And uh, it's, it's, it's an agricultural song. It's a country and western song. One that's, well, close to my heart as well, because my son loved the song as well. It's by Jason Aldean. And what's the name of it? It's Big Green Tractor. Okay, so going out to the break with Big Green Tractor, Jason Aldean, Alec Peters. Thank you very, very much and best luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Back after the break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Yeah. 
What's up? I'm Don Diablo. You're listening to Hexagon Radio in Capital FM, Moscow. Every Friday, 11 p.m. on 105.3. Don Diablo's Hexagon Radio on Capital FM, Moscow. Okay, we're back on part three of Capital Sports here on this lovely Wednesday evening. I uh, hope everyone has enjoyed the uh, well the interview with uh, Alec Peters of Cisco basketball team uh, that uh, we just had. Um, right, so it's left us all in the shoes. There's four of us here again. So there's, of course, uh, Andrew McLean. There is Alex B and Peter B. Okay, so uh, as Peter's there playing, I don't know, it's like Dream Garden or I don't know, what is it, Bubble Pop? <laughs> I'm just checking the fixtures. I don't Check know. Checking fixtures. I, I don't know, know what, you, what, what you're doing. Where you okay, you be, yeah, you need to be closer to the microphone in any case. So right, <laughs> both of yeah. you do. All right, so uh, this weekend coming up, there is a full round of fixtures in the Russian Premier League. The big ones, Siska are home to Rubin. Dinamo and Spartak, massive Moscow derby. That is on Sunday at 7 o'clock out in the new Dinamo Arena. Lokomotiv are away in Makhachkala playing Angie. That's at 9 o'clock. It's kicking off then. Okay, so uh, it's rugby time. Uh, we're not going to play our rugby team, but it is rugby time. Um, after the last round of fixtures, of course, the our, our prediction table has changed quite a bit. Uh, Andrew, what are you looking for right now from, from rugby? What what what? What do you need to get? Do you need to win all three games or are you happy just to get one point? Uh, in terms of Scotland or in terms of uh, the Six Nations in general, I mean, for Scotland, I think uh, at this point we need to, to look at getting a few players back and um, building confidence again before the World Cup. Um, after, you have a tough group in the World Cup. Yeah, uh, alongside Russia, Japan, which is a potential banana skin, I think, uh, obviously with it being held in Japan as well. Um, and... Uh, I believe Togo and Ireland, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, the one good thing I think we can take from the Six Nations was that I think we could have got something from the game against Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, Ireland will obviously have a lot to prove coming back um, this time around uh, with a with a tough game against France, but they should be too good. Um, and obviously, then we've got England, um, who at this point I think will be. Will be resting players if, if 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 they can for that big showdown at the end. Um, with if, if Wales slip up, then they need to keep going and, and make sure that they're still in with a shout when it comes round to that final round of fixtures. There are three teams still in it to win a championship, so I mean, yeah, like absolutely, yeah. Wesling, so yeah. it could it could all really really happen. Um, okay, so uh, well, Alex, you're our rugby man, so you can you can tell us which games are on Saturday this Saturday. All right, so on Saturday we have Scotland versus Wales, uh, England versus Italy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, Scotland, Wales, Scotland. That that's kicking off. Is that uh, that's that's not two fifteen, does it? That's at uh, no, it'll be five fifteen. Five fifteen Moscow time, and it's at seven forty-five. Scotland, Wales, Andy. Um, as I said last week, Scotland do have a half decent record uh, at home to Wales, um, but Wales obviously. It's a tricky one for them. They've now broken that record. Um, they were very good again in the second half. It's a question of consistency for them and whether they make changes or not, knowing that they've also got another big game to come after that. Do they maybe risk resting a few players? As Scotland have been so disappointing, as long as their kicking's on cue, I think Wales should comfortably take that one. OK, so Wales to win up in Murrayfield. OK, England, Italy, I mean, that, that, that can only just one team. Italy. 
Italy, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, in, 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 I, mean, in, in, I think England are a few in there, yeah. Okay, and on Sunday at six o'clock, there's a big, big, big game that has a very a big bearing. On big the game. We have Ireland versus France. Okay, that's that's an Ireland team that is pretty much at full strength. Um, you know, Joey Carberry, the, the scrum half, he's a bit of, or sorry, the out half is a bit of an injury, but uh, he won't be playing. But France are going to come to Dublin really looking to do damage, won't they? I think so. But because of that game being on the Sunday, Ireland will know whether they're in back in with a chance or not, depending on what that Scotland-Wales game has, has produced and whether England pick up the bonus points against Italy. So I think for both teams, there'll be, there'll be plenty to focus on. There'll be certain goals that they'll have within, within the fixture itself. Ireland will obviously be looking to accommodate or try and compensate that French pack and maybe use the movement and kicking to try and, to try and get behind them. By yeah, by, by by Sunday they they will know exactly what's what's in store for them and and they'll be they'll be revving revving to to pick up the points. Okay, could be a very very interesting at the Viva Stadium in Dublin. That of course is kicking off at six o'clock. So a lot of big challenges and collisions. That okay. So it's time now to um, <clears throat> to make our picks. So Alex, uh, Scotland, Wales. Who are you going uh, for? Well, Wales being my absolute favourite country in the world, I'm going to go with Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Wales. All right, Peter's laughing there beside you. Peter, uh, who are you going for, Scotland or Wales? Oh, of course, I got to pick Wales, man. But you said that they weren't a country last week. I, that was, that <laughs> wasn't. That wasn't. That, nobody. It was Andy out of all the people. It wasn't even us. <laughs> hey, you started it. You started it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We, we said it's not quite. a big destination. I was quite. So I'd like to apologise on Andy's behalf to all the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To all the Welsh on people. On Andy's behalf. I, I, I fully understand Wales as a country. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You, you said you wouldn't even why'd you oh, go there as a tourist. You did say that. I said I wouldn't expect people to have gone there because, yes, it's not a big tourist destination, yet it is a great country with its own beautiful No, when we had it with Peter, we had it with Peter because I said, like, you know, you're in England. He says, yeah, I've been in England. I said, do you not go to Wales? No, why would I go to Wales? You said <laughs> that, Peter. No. We have the, the audio evidence of you yeah. saying that. No, but live on air. But no, look, like all that matters that we recognize is an independent state. So. <laughs> no, it's no, not no. an independent state, though. Okay, so uh, Andy, Scotland or Wales? Um, just to see if I can rock the boat with the league table here, I'm going to go for home advantage in Scotland. Ooh, very, very good. I, 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 you know, I would She's always look guy. at it being good, but no, I'll go to boys and go with Wales. I will go with Wales. I just I have the feeling they're going to do it. So, okay, England and Italy, Peter. I'm going to say, well, England disappointed me last time, so I'm going to say Italy. <laughs> You're going to go Italy. Good man. All right. Italy? Very, very tough choice yet. I'm going to have to go with England on this one. Okay. Peter hasn't learned, has he? Uh, Eng no. England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> England also. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the, to insult England or English people. Like, you know, there's a way. England's not a state. England's just in a state well it is with Brexit it's all over oh, yeah. the place England is a disgrace I hate to get political but <laughs> yeah yeah let's, let's keep politics out okay and finally finally Ireland fans uh, Andy what do you reckon I'm going home advantage again three homes for me three homes so three homeboys okay Alex uh, Ireland 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 baby Peter Definitely Ireland. Ireland, okay. The independent country, although on the <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very, he's very, he's, he's afraid now. He's got, he's like big Welshmen. If Welshmen were wearing kilts, he'd be really scared. But they're not. They're just big guys who are like 
sing loud, like you know. They've got great singing voices, they do. But the only problem is when they're speaking, they, they cover you in spit. It's like, like that. That's how we speak. No, most people speak like that. Like you say all this stuff, and we get hated on. So please <laughs> yeah, stop. Yeah, but you're like the Welsh language has a lot of consonants in it. Yeah, I think that's what Alan was trying to yeah. say. I was going to say this. I am going to get lots of chocolates for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, you well, let's see. Okay, so we're all going for Ireland on that last one. Okay, we're going to go to uh, and, um, Andrew Flint. Hopefully, he's just waiting on our call right now. Before we do, um, we, when we're speaking with um, Alec Peters on that, what was interesting for for me to hear was just about how he looks at that. You know, he has he's of the opinion that college players should get some sort of compensation. They should get some sort of payment. I think he's right. I mean, obviously they are generating a lot of revenue, fair enough. They have been given scholarships in most cases, which are to the size of sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. Whether you consider that as your payment is another question. But there are, you know, but despite having a scholarship, the, as, as he highlighted, some of these students that have huge amounts of talent, and as Alex mentioned last week, one injury and that's all gone. Yeah. Um, so perhaps after two or three years of playing, they come away with absolutely nothing, Nothing having perhaps struggled through their time in university, maybe not being able to eat properly or etc. So it, it is an issue, but how you solve it? Yeah. Do you percentage breakdown, sponsorship? What's it's he guys reckon? I mean, he's like it, he said like you go home and he said like you're eating frozen pizza after playing in front of like you know, 10,000 people in an arena. So what, what do you reckon? Well, the thing is, the universities make money off of every student they have, including the basketball players, including guys that are like bench on the basketball team, including guys like Zion Williamson that can like take them to the to the, the playoffs, yeah, yeah. to the playoffs, right? So, um, so honestly, don't know. They obviously make money off their name, but I think their payment is their college degree that they're going to get at the end and their chance at like a higher education. Okay, so okay, this is a reward. Okay, that that is fair enough. Right, we're going to go out to two men to our man in Siberia. To uh, Andrew Flint and over on Drug Football Course. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. I was. How are you guys? Very, very good, Andrew. Listen, uh, we only have a short bit of time today. We're under massive time pressure here in the studio. However, uh, first mm. question up: We wanted to have a chat today about uh, youth development, youth football in Russia, and you, you have a couple of nice ideas on this. Well, yeah, I mean, the one of the interesting things this season, I think everybody will agree, in, in Russian football is how many young players CSK Moscow, for example, have used. And on the face of it, it looks like youth football in Russia is very healthy. Um, but there are actually quite some worrying numbers that I've, I've come across. Um, if you look at the number of French under-23 players... Um, with the most number of minutes, they have 24 players in the top 100 players with most minutes in Europe. Um, and if you did it on minutes per appearance, only three Russian players would, would come into that. So it kind of tells a story about the exposure that the young players in Russia are getting, which is not really enough as it is. Um, if, if you look at that, then, okay, overall, why are those Russian players not getting that experience, under? Well, I mean, the, the foreigner ruling that was brought in was clearly designed to try and artificially create more opportunities, but even still, um, they, they, it's just not working enough, um, certainly not for the intention that it was brought in for. And um, Honestly, because cheaper options are available abroad, it's a very common problem that a lot of leagues have, although, if you look across European leagues, other leagues are making a better fist of it. Um, 
I think there are one or two bright spots in there. Um, Chatanova in the second tier are fascinating projects with only academy players and they're looking very good for promotion as well. Um, Krasnodar's academy, of course, one of the best in the world and that's showing some signs of life. But um, it's just it's cheaper cheaper not to play them. There's um, one example I looked at was uh, Athletic Bilbao who are obviously mm. almost entirely reliant on Basque-based players. Um, and the, this, the the amount of infrastructure and money that they put in, so there's certain hotspots across Spain where perhaps you might think that a giant club might be linked to good grassroots and development of academies, but there's actually far fewer that are developed in Barcelona and Madrid than there are in places like uh, uh, La Coruña, uh, Bilbao. Mm. Um, so these places understand the importance of their academies and then put the money in. Can that be done, though, in Russia when it's such heavily, it's, it's so heavily reliant on its scouting network in Moscow, um, simply because of the geography and the size? Do you think it's ever really going to be possible where you get these sort of hot spots of Manchester, Sheffield, um, hmm. in, in Russia, simply because of the size of it? I, I think, like you mentioned, the geography is the major obstacle. I, I think, to answer your question shortly, no, I, d I don't think it is likely. Um, there is small potential. I mean, my town, Tumen, is is basically unheard of outside Russia, but we have a regional centre of excellence, um, and they are starting to get a few players that are getting noticed. Um, Pavel Maslov moved to Sparta at Moscow, um, last year and um, Saveli Kozlov has just gone to Orenburg um, ex-Spartak youth player so but a lot of players are starting to be developed but it, it's, it's a very slow progress and to the rate that you're mentioning and the examples you give like Bill Barrow for example are, are fascinating I just can't see it ever happening on that scale in Russia and I think geography is a large part of it but also possibly just an impatience and a, a lack of confidence that the long-term project can can come out strongly. Um, Crassidized to one possible exception, but other than that, I don't see it really happening. There was one before out in uh, on the Volga in Saratov, actually in in Toliat, actually the Konopilov Academy, where the likes mm. of Alan Zagoyev come out of, and I mean they had a very good link up with the Division Two team, and they played. You know, they, there was a progression from them. Uh, kind of in like what Chertanov are doing now, but uh, actually at a higher level. But they were using a Dutch method. Then the problem was when the gentleman, um, I think it was Alec Konopilov, he passed away very, very suddenly. There was no funding for it. Now, Roman Abramovich took it over for a while, uh, but it never really continued on. Does it mean, like in Galizzi's case down in Krasnodar, it just takes someone with a lot of money to put it in and then hope for the best? Well, uh, it, it's a simplistic way of putting it, but I, I hate to say it, but I think it probably is, um, simply because they, they, there is that lack of urgency. Um, Sergei Galitsky just wanted to, to put in a long-term project, and it's very, very rare, of course, to have somebody who has enough money and enough patience to see that through. Um, without the money, it's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean... On a, on a very simple level, I, m I mentioned my, my local team, Chibet, but they do have fantastic facilities, certainly for the level. Um, and I know a lot of the players just simply don't stay because there isn't enough budget to pay what well, is still not an, an extortionate salary, but what other clubs can. And players should drift around, as we know, they change clubs so often in Russian football. To have a project that is not under pressure, can afford to buy experienced players and develop youth, 
Um, it, it's just so rare. Um, CSK Moscow and Krasnodar are the highlights. Um, Chitana were lower down, but it's just it's just the the money is a very very simple. The talent is there. That's the thing. The talent is there. Um, so uh, yeah, I think money is is the main part of the problem. Yeah. We mentioned earlier about the sort of elitism starting to appear in in the U.S. and its academies and developments. Does Russia yeah. suffer from that as well? Where perhaps poorer families in, 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 if you compare it to the UK, working class areas and families generally produce a lot of sport, um, um, sorry, a, a lot of players based on the amount of sport they, they, can, they can play for free. Is that an issue here where you actually have to pay for, to use the facilities? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's a very good point, actually. I've, I've been in contact with a lot of US-based journalists and they just tear their hair out at the, the pay-to-play model. Um, it's, it's, it's just absolutely madness, as, as far as I can tell. Um, but, I mean, the facilities, some of the facilities in Russia are absolutely outstanding and genuinely world-class. If you look at Zenit Academy, okay, a lot of people say they don't have a great academy, but it's a, it's a bit of a fallacy, really, because they produce a hell of a lot of players. They just don't bring them into their own first team. A lot of players around the Russian Premier League who are thriving now... Um, have come through that system. Krasnodar, of course, and mentioned Tiscar. But that's the issue but, uh, with all these academies, like with, uh, you know, Sitchov came through Zenit and then, you know, wasn't treated mm. well, was kind of like moved out of the club and, you know, again, it needs a progression on to the first team. So, and just, we're going to have to leave it there and go away, but we will be back on to you next week to cover some more about Russian football. So, thank you again for your time and we will talk with you next week. Great to meet you guys. See you next week. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, guys, we're going away now for the evening. I hope all is well. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. And for bleeding on air as well. Uh, yeah. It was like a blood fest in here for Alex B. Uh, thank you very much. With the lovely new uh, fingers and toes. And for Peter P as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, and soon he will learn to speak into a microphone, folks. Don't worry about it. Okay, we're going to go away tonight. To wish you all well. Thank you 